Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is a Friday, the 4th of February. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We are seeking to apply the mind of Christ to the concerns of the day. So if you've ever wondered to yourself, what exactly is Carmen doing on Mornings with Carmen? Well, that's pretty much it. We are seeking to uh, discern and then apply the mind of Christ to the concerns of the day. I often ask, where in the Word are you today? And that's really a question that um, I think for those of us who are Christians, that's a question that we ought to be considering on two levels. Where in the Word am I today is a question about where I am in terms of my own Bible reading and Bible study, but it's also a question about where I am in Christ. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. And so I am in Christ, and so where am I in Christ today? It's a good uh, provocative question as we seek to assess our own lives in Christ. But more often than not, when I ask the question, where in the Word are you today, you and I are answering that question with a Bible book and chapter, sometimes a verse. Many of you know that I am reading through the book of Acts. We are actually doing that at Faith Radio. You can join us at MyFaithRadio.com. Join us in reading through the Bible, the book of Acts this month. So it is February the 4th, so we are in, yep, you guessed it, Acts chapter 4. So you will remember that yesterday in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were walking into the temple at the beautiful gate. They encountered a man who had been brought to the beautiful gate of the temple every day for, we know, some 40 years uh, as a crippled man. And uh, he begged there. He was asking for alms for those who were entering the temple. And Peter said, "Uh, silver and gold have I not, but I'm going to give you what I have in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. And the man did. He got to his feet. They all went together together. They all went together into the temple. It was an extraordinary event. Um, Everybody who was there knew this man because that is the gate uh, through which they had entered the temple. They had seen him every single day. They knew that this was a man who could not walk. And yet here he was standing on healed feet and ankles, leaping and jumping and uh, praising God in the company of Peter and John. And so Uh, It gave Peter the opportunity to preach a sermon. We talked about that yesterday. And it resulted in, well, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees not being very happy. Uh, So we are in Acts chapter 4, where it says in verse 2, greatly annoyed. 
because uh, Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. And many of those who heard the word believed and the number who came to faith was about 5,000. So you'll remember on Pentecost, we had 3,000 added to the some 120 uh, disciples or believers in Jesus uh, on the day of Pentecost, and now we have a, a 5,000 more. So there's a rapid advance of the gospel accounted for just in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. And so then uh, in Acts chapter 4, you are going to read that on the next day, Peter and John were brought before quite a gathering in Jerusalem. Uh, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, uh, John, Alexander, the scribes, the elders, um, the high priestly family. I mean, the list is pretty long. And they put Peter and John in front of them and asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then we get this extraordinary uh, proclamation by Peter of exactly who Jesus is, how he died, what his death means. Um, and, uh, and so eventually, those who are questioning them say, uh, hey, in order that what you're talking about doesn't spread any further among the people, um, you know, we're warning you, don't say anything you know, to anyone in this name, the name being Jesus. And so they called and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you can judge. Uh, but we uh, but we speak, um, and we're going to speak about what we've seen and heard. And so they threatened them again, and then they let them go because they had actually no cause to punish them. And everybody knew that the man who had been healed was 40 years old and had been um, you know, had had been unable to walk since birth. So uh, this carries on, and there is a proclamation at the end of Acts chapter 4 about the believers praying for boldness and caring for one another. And so would you read with us in Acts chapter 4 today as we're reading through the Bible? You can still join us in our reading at myfaithradio.com. So as we apply the mind of Christ to the concerns of the day, we, we look at what's happening in the culture. And so we are going to look with Steve West from World Magazine at some of the religious liberty challenges that our Christian brothers and sisters are facing across the country. We'll be right back. Steve West is an attorney. He puts together something called the Liberties Roundup for World Magazine. You can find it and everything we're going to talk about today at WNG, that stands for World News Group, WNG.org. Steve, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Carmen. Absolutely. Let's talk. Um, let's start in Michigan. We're going to take a little tour of the country today, but let's start in Michigan. What do we need to know about a settlement between St. Vincent Catholic Charities uh, in the state? Oh, you know, I'm always glad to start with good news. And this is good news because this is a case that's been going on for several years now. There's a Michigan foster and adoption agency that's won a long battle to place children and families according to its biblical beliefs. There's a Lansing-based St. Vincent Catholic Charities, a historic charity there that has helped with foster children over many, many years. And they have a policy to place a child with only a married man and woman. 
uh, in accordance with their biblical beliefs. And so under this court-approved settlement, the state agreed it wouldn't end St. Vincent's license over its biblical Facebook policies, and the state also agreed to pay attorney's fees to the organization. That's really good news for adoptive parents uh, and foster parents and children needing homes in particular. So let me ask, Steve, is this um, just a a more local um, representation of how a Supreme Court case like Fulton versus Philadelphia that was decided by the court in 2021, is this evidence of how then that jurisprudence at the Supreme Court level is functionally worked out in states across the country? Yes, it really is. So I think it has um, it has a good uh, it's going to have a good effect across the country. In fact, you know, when that decision was entered in June of last year, that's a decision where the court ruled in favor of Catholic Charities, Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia. And it's the same kind of a situation. Uh, and the court said unanimously, which is unusual, unanimously that the city government there could not force the foster care agency to place children with same sex couples or unmarried couples. So same kind of situation. But there, everybody thought this was kind of a narrow uh, ruling. But here we find that this is ex- exactly what uh, led the state to back down and agree to the settlement here. Because this court in the Philadelphia case said that if it, that a case is not generally applicable and neutral, if it allows for any kind of individual exemption. Uh, in other words, it doesn't apply to everybody because they can make exemptions for certain groups. And all of these uh, foster care systems that are set up have to be individualized because there have to be situations where the state can say, you know, you, this is not a good situation for uh, an adoption or a foster care situation. And so what that means is across the country that all of these uh, systems are going to be impacted by this particular decision. So we see that worked out in, in Michigan in this case. All right. So that's a good news case out of Michigan. Um, we don't have quite Indeed. such good news out of Oregon. What's happening there? Yeah, out of Oregon, you know, initially we looked at this case and said, oh, this is good news. Well, this is a 10-year-long case that's very, very similar to uh, the one involving Jack Phillips and his uh, bakery uh, called Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. So here, an Oregon appeals court ordered the state to reconsider damages awarded in the 2013 discrimination case against Christian bakers Aaron and Melissa Klein. The Kleins were sued by two women who who said they suffered emotional damage after the clients declined to uh, to design and bake a cake for their same-sex wedding. Now, this was back in 2012 is when it really started. And they went through a lot of litigation. They actually went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Courts uh, threw out the decision that was a ruling against them by the Oregon court and sent it back to the Oregon court and told them to have another look at it. That was in 2019. They told them to have another look at it in light of Masterpiece Cake Shop, a case where they had found that the Colorado state government had had shown hostility toward Jack Phillips, and therefore, because of the hostility, they threw out the case and sent the whole thing back. Well, it took two years for the Oregon Court of Appeals to actually rule on this, but in this recent ruling, they, uh, they, they doubled down on the fact that they were liable, that they had violated, they said, the non-discrimination law in the state by not baking the cake for them, but they simply sent the uh, sent the damages portion of it back to the agency in the state, the same agency that had engaged in the discrimination, and sent it back to them and asked them to reconsider. So it's it's no stretch for me to imagine that they will come down with the same type of ruling unless the state just drops their uh, request for damages. 
All right, we're talking with attorney Steve West. He's the editor of the World News Group Liberty's Roundup. You can find what we're talking about today, the related articles at WNG.org. We're going to continue looking at cases around the country. Next up, we'll look at Tennessee and Indiana and something from West Virginia as well. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Steve West from World News Group. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Uh, We are talking about cases across the country where the Christian faith finds itself at intersection with the law of the land. And so, Steve, let's take a look at what's going on in Tennessee. And let me just say in advance, I I have some very mixed feelings about what's going on here. Um, Tell people what's happening with Elizabeth and Gabriel Rutan Ram. Yeah, this is, as you say, people may have mixed feelings. Christians may have mixed feelings about this particular case, but it does uh, it does exemplify the uh, stance that some of the uh, Christian adoption agencies have taken. So this is a case in which a Jewish couple, a man and a woman married, a Jewish couple, filed a lawsuit against the state of Tennessee uh, because of a law enacted in January 2020 that protects child placement agencies from lawsuits for for not operating in a, for operating in accordance with their religious beliefs. So here, a Jewish couple approaches Holston United Methodist Home for Children in Greenville, Tennessee, and Holston declined to provide them with a home study and training service that they do for adoptions. They wanted to do an out-of-state adoption, and they only work with couples who share the organization's Christian beliefs. So if you come in, you need to be able to sign their statement of faith. And since they're not a Christian couple, they're a Jewish couple, they turn them away. They refer them to other agencies in the state. There are many other agencies that would would be able to work with them, but Holston happened to be, they say, the most convenient agency. So they're not challenging, they're not suing Holston, but they're actually suing the state because of this particular law that protects uh, protects these agencies from lawsuits for operating in accordance with their religious beliefs. It's an, an I, I think, an increasingly complex area of conversation and law. And I think as Christians, we have to constantly keep in view that there are vulnerable children who need, uh, you know, who need placements in both foster care and uh, and adopted families. And so for those of us who are pro-life from conception to natural death, um, we need to be pro-life when we're talking about being sure that children who are brought into this world and whose mothers, for one reason or another, are not in a position to raise them or do not desire to raise them, that we step forward and and work in our communities to be sure that these systems are working for kids. So let me just advocate for that um, to each and every person listening uh, right now, no matter where you are, there are kids in your community who need a safe, loving environment. um, And by no fault of their own, they are currently without a family. And so let's, let's be the people who step forward into that void. Talk with us a little bit, Steve, about, uh, and I'm going to put, you know, air quotes around this because uh, that's the way the headline reads as well. And I think that every time we talk about this, we have to remind people what conversion therapy is, is and is not. So conversion therapy ban threatens Indiana church ministry. What's happening here in West Lafayette? Yes, this is very concerning. Uh, you know, conversion therapy, uh, so-called conversion therapy, was a um, secular 
psychological technique that came about that was pretty extreme and is it has been has been discarded for many years. Uh, it involves shock treatments and aversion therapy in an attempt to change unwanted sexual attractions. Uh, no one does that uh, anymore. So when they use the words uh, conversion therapy, they're often just talking about any effort to change an individual's sexual orientation uh, or gender identity. So here in West Lafayette, the city council has proposed a, a new city ordinance that uh, would penalize anyone who talks with anyone who talks with minors to help them overcome unwanted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. So it's usually these statutes are, are aimed at licensed uh, counselors or therapists. And here, though, it's very broad and so broad, in fact, that it would catch up any kind of um, you know, just church counseling, pastoral counseling, or even parents who are counseling their kids in regard to these things. And actually imposes, this particular ordinance imposes a penalty of a $1,000 per day for violators. So there's a church there called Faith Church in West Lafayette, Indiana, uh, where Purdue University is located. This church has for 45 years operated a free biblical counseling ministry, ministry for members of the community, but that outreach is really threatened by this city council proposal. So, Steve, I remember um, in seminary, uh, and this this dates me, but, you know, we're talking about uh, sometime between 1990 and 1993. I mean, I remember an entire course, um, uh, you know, on the subject of uh, of care and counseling, pastoral care and counseling. And I, I remember this conversation that long ago taking place about not using the word counseling, not using the term counselor, being very, very clear um, that what we were offering was uh, pastoral care. Um, And so I'm wondering if part of what churches need to better understand and Christians need to better understand um, is the linguistics here um, and just recognize that, you know, counseling is a regulated industry now, and there are people who, you know, guard you know, guard that term as something that is um, licensed. And so, you know, maybe those of us who aren't licensed counselors, maybe we start calling what we're doing something else. I mean, I know that that doesn't satisfy or ultimately answer the question of this infringement or this attempt of the of the state to infringe upon people actually teaching biblical morality and a biblical understanding of human identity. But it may satisfy the court. Yeah, I think sometimes choice of choice of words is very helpful. I think in respect to this particular ordinance, though, it would be it would not uh, be effective because you know the way that it's written is it's just any practices or treatments by anybody to change mm. an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. So it really catches up uh, catches up everybody. You know, I talked with uh, the pastor there at Faith Church, Steve Viers, and uh, they have he said they have thirty two counselors that offer sixty to eighty hours of biblical counseling. To members of the community each week is a very it's a, it's a church that really reaches out to the community, and so this has really come as a uh, come as a shock to them that this would be proposed. They actually gathered together uh, a, a group called Lafayette Citizens for Freedom, and they have a website. But they are actually uh, have, there's just been an outpouring of support for the church, and there's a meeting this coming Monday night with the city council to consider this ordinance. So. He's asking for prayers for those uh, that they would have wisdom and they would reject this particular proposal. 
I think we're going to see an increasing number of uh, attempts like this in cities across the country um, and certainly in states. And so if you're listening right now and you don't know what the status of these kinds of ordinances are in your own community, it's absolutely time to find out. Um, So what's happening in your own local community? How can you as a Christian impress yourself into those conversations? And certainly let us be praying with and for the Lafayette Citizens for Freedom in their efforts this coming Monday night uh, at the city council meeting there. Steve, as always, thank you so much for bringing us such good and helpful information uh, in the Liberties Roundup. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. You can find what we discussed today and a lot more at WNG.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, this is Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. We have a lot going on right now, uh, and you can check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. So I'm going to type that in and see if I can uh, get the information here. All right, so the first thing that pops up, uh-oh, just lost my screen. The first thing that pops up on the website is reading the Bible together. Again, I'm at MyFaithRadio.com, checking out the website today and everything that's being offered. Uh, I think I have invited you a number of times to join us in reading through the book of Acts this month. It is February the 4th, so we're reading Acts chapter 4. Um, but I'm also going to click over here on Love's Power to Heal, a special video live stream. And when I um, open up that at MyFaithRadio.com, I learned this. Susie Larson is going to have a special guest, Dr. Troy Sproul, on Thursday, February the 10th. So that's next Thursday at 7 p.m. Central for a special video live stream event about love's power to heal. And so you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, and watch this special video live stream next Thursday, February the 10th, 7 p.m. Central, with Susie Larson and Dr. Troy. They're going to talk about love's power to heal, and they'd love to include you in that conversation. You can get all the information as well as uh, connect with us on YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. All right, we um, we talk about worldview here on Mornings with Carmen, and when I use that term, I suspect that there are some people who are saying to themselves, what is that, and why does she think it matters so much? So our worldview is the lens through which we assess everything, everything. So it's like the pair of glasses that we're wearing through which we see the world and everything in it. Um, the world and everyone in it, the way we see ourselves and God, um, or if we even see God at all. And so my worldview is what I would describe as Christian, redemptive, gospel. You might use the term biblical. So periodically we talk with Dan DeWitt about his weekend worldview reader, because Dan's trying to do the same thing we're trying to do, apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. He'll be here next.
Well, good morning again. I am Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Dan DeWitt is joining us. Dan is a professor at Cedarville University. He has a website called theolatte.com where uh, a couple of times a month, he posts something called the Weekend Worldview Reader, and everything we're going to talk about today, you can find right there. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. So um, it occurred to me uh, when Paul shared with me that you are sitting in a more public space than normal because the snow plows have not um, gotten all the way to where you normally find yourself in conversation with us. Um, so how much snow and what's the temp where you are today? I want to say the temp is got to, I think it was around 15 degrees. So it's not bad, um, but we probably have at least, I would say at least 10 inches of snow, but with drifting there are places, you know, where there's significantly more than that. And it's supposed to keep snowing until around lunchtime. Okay, so this is where I just thought it would be kind of fun for us to uh, ask everybody listening right now to check in with me. You can text me at 877-933-2484 if you just want to text me a picture of a screenshot of your phone with the local weather where you are. That would be great because where I am, there's no snow. It's 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 going to be below freezing all day here, but just barely, like it's 28 right now. And yet the city where I live is completely paralyzed. I mean, completely, (laughs) completely shut down and paralyzed. And so as a matter of perspective. Uh, if you, if today you are in a place that is bitterly sub-zero and there's a lot of snow and you're having a hard time getting around, my heart genuinely goes out to you. And you are a person of much more significant constitution than the people where I live. <laughs> I just think that that's fair to say every once in a while. And there um, are people Dan, who are waking up in Tampa right now <laughs> yes, with the beach. And the pe- and- <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Oh, gosh. It's negative Paul, what is it right now where you are? Negative what? Uh, I don't have the screen up, but it was like oh. negative two uh, about an hour or so ago. Yeah. That my was just phone the air temperature. Windshield was around yeah. 15 below. My phone oh my says goodness. it's 37 and raining in Hartford. And um, and yes, in Tampa, oh, it's negative three in Minneapolis right now. Uh, in Tampa, it is a balmy 64 Man. Um, and sunny. Yeah. So just go ahead, Florida people, and just gloat a little bit. It's okay. (laughs) Dan, um, artificial intelligence. We talk a lot about the dangers of it and maybe even some fears related to it. Um, There's at least one person who's trying to figure out how it can be used for good. Tell us a little bit about this individual and her efforts, and then maybe let's talk about how, as Christians, we could seek to do the same thing. Well, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name. It's L-I-O-R. So her last name's Cole. So I'll just refer to her as Miss Cole so I don't um, butcher her first name. Miss Cole is an undergraduate student at Cornell University. She was walking down the streets one day and someone spotted her and she has started a career as a model because someone has found her and has um, she's modeled for a bunch of large brands. However, that works out. But in the midst of all that, she decided to take what she was learning at college about artificial intelligence and apply it to the spiritual life. So she's developed an app um, for her fellow fellow um, Jewish believers, and the app is called Robo Rabbi. And I love that because I think of an old movie called RoboCop, and I just see this rabbi kind of like a, a you know this like mechanical tough um, rabbi who dispenses wisdom. 
um, pretty regularly. And so what this artificial intelligence does for people who often attend a synagogue is it gives them advice on how they can apply what they were studying in the synagogue. Um, and so when we think about uh, as individual believers today, and we think about discipleship, and we think about our spiritual practices, I think that, you know, we use a variety of tools. We don't necessarily think about our tools as being super trendy, maybe like an app on our phone. Um, But I certainly use tools in terms of I don't know, I have a bookmark that this month, you know, has each one of the chapters in Acts and a little box next to it. So I'm checking it off. I'm kind of like an opportunity for me to have something that is reminding me and moving me along. That's kind of what this feels like just at a technological level. Well, you know, I think, yeah, I think this is pretty simple from what I've read about it on the the Religion News, the RNS article. Um, But I think, you know, it could get kind of scary here. But if we had an app, um, on our smartphone, native to our sm- smartphone, that knew like all of our habits on our smartphone, mm. um, it actually could like give like really good advice. Like, hey, you're spending way too much time on social media. Um, and then it, if it brought into account like what we're reading through the Bible, like if there was a way to kind of pull that together and say, um, here's an application of this verse. Now, obviously, we don't want to kind of outsource the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of our own personal quiet time. But on the same hand, it would be scary um, how specific our iPhone could tell us things that we need to change about our behavior. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We have friends uh, checking in across uh, across the country. Um, thank you to each and every one of you. Let's see, Anne, it's zero where she is, but it feels like negative 12 with the wind chill in St. Paul. It's negative four in Cuttier, Iowa, but it's going to be um, 30 by Saturday. So praise the Lord, says Stephen. Amen. Praise yeah. the Lord with you. It's negative one in uh, in Duluth, according to Randy and Jeannie. Uh, we have a friend checking in from Janesville, Wisconsin, where it's negative one and beautifully snowing, apparently. In Crookston, Minnesota, it's negative negative nine. Thanks, Brenda, for checking in on that. Jim in Simsbury, Connecticut says, hey, we're all good here. It's 36 and just raining. Um, So yeah, thank you so much for that. Veronica, thank you for checking in. Negative two in Apple Valley. Marsha is frankly number one. I'm just going to say in Big Lake where there are flurries right now, Marsha checking in with one degree. So Marsha, you get to be Number one, thank you to each and every one of you checking in today. Friend checking in in Baldwin, Wisconsin, where it's negative one. Yeah, there seems to be a a theme here, a theme here. It is a balmy 34 in Glastonbury. That's clearly somebody listening out of our Hartford, Connecticut signal. So good morning to each and every one of you. Thanks to each of you for checking in. Dan DeWitt and I are talking about, well, things that are happening in the world and seeking to apply the mind of Christ to those matters. That's what we do here on Mornings with Carmen. So, Dan, you have a piece posted at Theolate where wisdom is found, and I thought um, it would be a good opportunity for us as Christians to talk about where wisdom is found when other people might be searching for it, you know, in an app on their phone. Um, there are places to which we can um, reliably turn. Absolutely. And, you know, wisdom is often found in places where we would least want to find it. King Solomon once said that there's more wisdom to be found at a funeral— than at a party, and that seems to be playing out before our very eyes um, because there's been a, an increase in religious themes in funeral services. So according to the National Funeral Directors Association of the United States, 
the number of those who say religion is very important for their services increased by 10 percent in 2020 during the height of the COVID pandemic. And so what we're seeing is that there's a this return to valuing immaterial things as we reflect on someone's life and perhaps their future after um, they're, they've deceased. And that increase shows us it's a reminder that a death or a funeral makes us come face to face with what matters most, what's really true, what we really believe. Mm. Yeah, Dan's piece on this, Where Wisdom is Found, posted at theolatte.com. Um, it's a quick read, but it's also just a really worthy and compelling read. Um, Dan, I want to talk with you about um, a, an article that you linked to in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. And maybe we could get the conversation started now and then continue it in a moment. Um, the The article is The Church of St. Thomas Paine. It's actually a book review but it talks mm-hmm. in here about the prophets of American secular religion. Let's start with what is meant by secular religion. Well, I think by secular religion, what it means here, and the, the book it's reviewing is by Lee Eric Schmidt, who teaches at Washington University and is a wonderful writer, um, writes a lot about this very topic. So his most recent book prior to the Church of St. Thomas Payne, which they're reviewing here, was called The Village Atheist, which is really an interesting um, kind of perspective about the difficulty that secularists have had in the history of North America. And so this article is continuing that theme to say, you know, if you don't believe in God or a personal God, what exactly um, are you to do? Are you to just simply live a nihilistic life? And nihilism is the philosophy that there's no objective meaning or purpose. Um, do you, like, have to listen to, you know, depressing um, Marilyn Manson, hard rock music all day long and um, sit under a black light and say, what was me? Or is there a way to find meaning and purpose? And so what this article is doing is saying, how are seculars finding meaning and purpose? But they really don't want it to be called religion per se. All right. So we're going to continue um, examining this conversation because I think that as Christians in the culture today, having an understanding of the perspective of secular individuals and recognizing they do have this deep desire to find meaning and purpose. And maybe that is a touch point for us as their Christian neighbors and and friends. We're going to continue our conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Um, We are talking about an article he has posted in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader at Theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Throw me like a stone in the water, watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter, pour me in. We're, cut, we're talking with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Uh, he posts at theolatte.com. We're looking at this week's Weekend Worldview Reader here on Mornings with Carmen. I am your host, Carmen LaBerge. All right, Dan, um, digging a little bit further into this conversation about, you know, prophets of America's secular religion, um, Thomas Paine wrote The Age of Reason and he had kind of as his creed um, this, this statement, the world is my country and to do good is my religion. And as I read that, I thought to myself, I know a lot of people, a lot of people who live by that creed today. The world is my country. I mean, they're, they're genuinely globalists. And to do good is my religion. The challenge is... How do you define that which is good 
if you have no moral compass outside of yourself. Yeah, and that, and that's a, a a perennial question that goes all the way back to Greek philosophy. Um, this question of what is the good life, and so this is something humans have wrestled with for a long time. And I think before Christians kind of rush in and kind of dell out judgment, you know, you can't get to it, you'll never be able to know. We should. Um, find it venerable, that it's a, a good thing to be encouraged, that people are seeking after good. And that's really a manifestation of the fact that they're created in God's image, um, the fact that God has written his moral law, Romans chapter 2, on their very hearts. And so these are good things. We should appreciate this kind of desire for humanist values. But there is a level which we can be um, at least reflective of this question, where, where is the good to be found? And is it possible to find it in this kind of view that Thomas Paine had as a, a deist, someone who believes God exists, but that God doesn't reveal himself in the world? If that's the case, then is there any way to actually know what is good? And then how could we ever say that it's not only good for us as a personal preference, but good for others as well? And that's a real challenge. And so we should be, one, sympathetic that people are asking the question, and then also empathetic to recognize with their, in their own way of seeing the world there's no way to account for these moral obligations and duties. There's words in um, in this article that I thought to myself, we should talk more about those. Um, and you just used the word deist. I'm not sure mm-hmm. everyone knows what a deist is or um, what a deist believes. And then there's also this term positivist or positivism. Mm-hmm. And I think that deism and positivism probably characterize more people in America who think they're Christians um, mm-hmm. than, yeah, than, than we might hope. Yeah. So deism ha- has had a lot of influence in, in our country, in the West, um, Deism is the view that there is indeed a God. And so that answers some really big philosophical issues, like why does the universe exist? Well, deists would say, well, God created it. Um, The problem is, if God doesn't reveal himself, if God doesn't communicate to us in shared symbols, words, ways that we can know who he is, then we're left to figure things out for ourselves. And so the analogy that's often given for a view of deism that God exists, but that he doesn't reveal himself, um, is that it, the idea of someone who makes a clock, winds it up, puts it in a guest room of their house, locks the door, they're never going back in that room, and the clock is literally just going to wind down until eventually it quits running altogether. And that would be a picture of our universe, that we live in a world that began from a you know an eternal, powerful source, um, but God just created it. He's not going to interact with it. So if we want to make sense of the world— then the only things we can really understand are things that we could prove in the kind of um, physical, scientific, empirical way. If you can't prove it scientifically, then it's not something true. It's not something real about the world. And in that case, a deist is in the same position as someone who believes there's no God at all. We have to build all of our knowledge kind of from the ground up. And what we're saying as Christians is that we're limited in how far we can get in our understanding of the world. We have to have information that comes from the top down, and a deist would reject that. A deist would reject the Bible, it sounds like, because they reject divine revelation. And so as a Christian seeking to engage with a person who is a deist, 
My challenge is going to be that for them, human reason is the authority. So they view themselves and human reason as um, the authority versus my view, which is God is the ultimate authority. God has revealed himself in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and and I can know him. So this is an, uh, this is a conversation about epistemology as well, how we know what we know mm-hmm. and how we know truth. And I think that if you're in a conversation with a person who will actually admit to being a deist, um, there there's almost no path forward for conversation. I, 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 this is actually a harder conversation than a conversation with an atheist. Yeah, there, there are a lot of challenges with deism because it does it doesn't have the problem of explaining why the universe exists, and that's really big. Like, even why is there a universe instead of no universe at all? Um, the the deist has that taken care of, and so they also have the idea that there's a mind behind the universe. So there's other problems that an atheist would have if everything goes back to. Um, chance and chaos and no mind. There are certain philosophical problems that you would have with that. The deist doesn't have those problems either. But if you were to ask them, help uh, explain to me, give a defense for your rationalism, you know, this view that human reason is the highest authority, what they're going to do is they're going to go into their rational Bible and give you a rational argument for their rationalism. And what that demonstrates for us is that presupposes um, the certainty of their position. It's what we would call circular reasoning. And it's not dissimilar from any other claim of any other way of seeing the world, because every way of seeing the world fundamentally accepts at bottom something that's real, and you accept that as a faith commitment. So the rationalist accepts as a faith commitment um, the authority of their own of human reason. For the Christian, we accept as a faith commitment that there's an eternal mind behind the universe, but that he's revealed himself. And so the question then becomes, which one, which way of seeing the world, which kind of fundamental commitment makes the best sense of the world we live in? Which one makes the best sense of the human experience? Which one makes the best sense of this longing for um, religious significance that comes up, as they pointed out in this article, even at funerals? What accounts for that? And I think the biblical view accounts for that quite well. King Solomon said God has placed eternity in our hearts. And so the the Christian's commitment has a way of explaining these human values, whereas deism has to say that we have no scientific foundation for them. We just accept them by faith. The Christian says we have faith commitments too, but they explain the human experience. Reverend Castro is reminding us that uh, the almost Christian view across the country of therapeutic moralistic deism yeah. is the real problem here. Yeah, no doubt about that. That would be a conversation that um, we could dig into um, at a later date because we have run out of time today, Dan. But thank you so very much for joining us. You guys can check in with Dan DeWitt at theolatte.com. Uh, What we discussed today is all posted in the Weekend Worldview Reader. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio. All right, it's Friday, so it seemed like we should have a Friday farm report. Uh, Yeah, there's not a whole lot going on on the farm. It's a sloppy, muddy mess right now. Um, And I will just tell you, there's just not a whole great motivation to get out and do a whole lot other than 
well in our subterranean greenhouse, which I will confess to you, um, doesn't get visited often in the winter, certainly not often enough, but we ventured out there yesterday because it was a cold, rainy day and seemed like a good day to spend a little time in the greenhouse. And let me just say, things are growing there. Things are growing there. And it reminded me that there's a lot that God is doing in seasons during which we don't imagine much is happening. But as I look around, even in the woods where I live, um, there are buds like fattening up, uh, expanding at the ends of every limb of every tree. Like the hope of spring is out there. There's something happening, right? Even beyond that which we can see. And so I want you to consider what's happening right now under the ground where you live, inside those trees where you live. Uh, Maybe where you live, the weather is perfect right now for tapping maple trees. I'm wondering if our friend who just texted in from... Cambridge, Ontario, Canada, and says, I love this radio station and I'm always listening. Good morning. I'm wondering if it's maple tree tapping season in Canada, because doesn't that just sound super yummy? And aren't you glad somebody does that? Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not tapping maple trees. We did that once. It's a whole lot of hard work and a giant big mess. Um, But I'm so glad that there's people who do that. I'm, I'm so glad there's people who keep bees. We tried that for a while as well. But, you know, I have finally decided I'd rather buy your honey. All right, let it run sweet today. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.